0: Prepare your ears, humans. Happy, Sad, Confused begins now. Today on Happy, Sad, Confused, Mackenzie Davis on Happiest Season, a look back at Terminator and her comfort movie, Death Becomes Her. Hey guys, I'm Josh Horowitz. Welcome to another edition of Happy, Sad, Confused. I realized as I was reading that introduction that to try to say Death Becomes Her in a happy voice (laughs) is a little bit odd. But um, I am uh, happy to say that Mackenzie Davis chose Death Becomes Her because that is a great kick-ass movie. But we'll get to that in a second. Uh, Mackenzie Davis, my guest today on the podcast. First time guest on Happy, Sad, Confused. Delighted to have her on. She's somebody that I've wanted to talk to in this format for quite a while. She's another one that I've chatted with in these brief little red carpet silliness back when we were able to do such silly things, uh, but never really got a chance to sit down with her for an extended chat. Um, You probably know her from a variety of things in recent years. Uh, She was in Blade Runner 2049. She was on Halt and Catch Fire. She was in that great Black Mirror episode, San Junipero. Uh, and now she's starring in Happiest Season, which, if you don't know, is this delightful new holiday rom-com on Hulu. By the time you listen to this, it is there for your uh, viewing pleasure if you subscribe to Hulu. And, and I guess the, the wrinkle to this, the twist on this, which sounds absurd to say, is, I mean, it's a very traditional holiday rom-com. It just so happens that, gasp, the two leads are both women? What? Well, it is 2020, Uh, so it took a while to get a kind of like mainstream holiday rom-com that had a gay love story in the center of it, but we made it. We're here. So hopefully, you know, the novelty of this uh, becomes uh, an afterthought very quickly. Uh, Frankly, this movie just works for what it is, which is a very traditional, um, fun um, holiday rom-com, and we need like one or two of those a year, right? So this one definitely fits the bill. It stars Mackenzie Davis alongside... Kristen Stewart, you know her, we love her, um, and, and a, a really fun group. Dan Levy's in this, Alison Brie's in this, Aubrey Plaza's in this, Victor Garber, Mary Steenburgen. it's got a great, great ensemble. So if you're looking for a fun diversion this holiday weekend, definitely recommend Happiest Season, and definitely recommend this conversation with Mackenzie about her life and career, um, about her her movie-going tastes, which I found out were Awesome, Like, I mean, she sought out Blade Runner. She was a big Blade Runner fan. Point in my book. She name checks Mad Max Fury Road. Point in my book. And she chose, and I say this often, like, oh, this is, this comfort movie really works for me. This one really, this is, if I had to name one of my top ten Josh Harowitz comfort movies, it's safe to say Death Becomes Her would be on the top ten. This, of course, is the, the dark comedy from Robert Zemeckis written by David Kep. Um, I think it came out in the early '90s, maybe 1990, something around there. We mentioned it in the actual conversation, but it starred Goldie Hawn and Meryl Streep and Bruce Willis, and it is a weird, dark take on on beauty and vanity, um, and and it's it's also part of like as I mentioned with Mackenzie, this weird like spate of like. Um, Rivalry, antagonistic stories, the things like Throw Mile The Train or Dirty Ron Scoundrels. I loved those kinds of movies growing up. And Death Becomes Her was one I always delighted in. So that was a fun treat to have an excuse to geek out with Mackenzie about that one. Um, other things to mention in the Josh Harowitz universe that you may want to check out. I mentioned Kristen Stewart starring in Happiest Season. I am delighted to say Kristen Stewart is the latest guest on Stir Crazy, my series for Comedy Central. Um, lots of fun with Kristen. If you know my work, if you've heard me on the podcast before or seen my MTV stuff, you know that I go way back with Kristen all the way to the Twilight days. So a lot of fun having kind of a silly conversation filled with games and stupid questions and, um, you know fun to mix it up with Kristen in a different kind of format. And I know if you appreciate her as much as I do, you will have a blast with that one. On the more straight and narrow path, um, some really fun conversations I had in recent days with Letitia Wright, who is just, I was going to say poised for success, but she's already killing it you know thanks in most in part you've all seen her in in Black Panther as Shuri but I had a great chat with her for MTV News also had a great chat with Kelly, Kelly Marie Tran for MTV News um, she's in the new Croods movie she's also in the Lego Star Wars Holiday Special also check that out that's really fun that's on Disney Plus um, so yeah so two fun interviews that are um, not as crazy as stir-crazy, but still uh, fun in their own right. And those, those chats are available on MTV News' YouTube channels and Facebook, etc. Um, look on my social media, you'll see me tout those for all your viewing pleasure. Um, before we get to the main event, I just want to wish you all, if, you, if Thanksgiving is coming up, if you're listening to this on Wednesday or Thursday, I hope you guys have a safe and happy Thanksgiving. This is obviously a crazy year. If you're lucky enough to be with your loved ones in a safe way, great. If not, I'm sorry, we're all sorry, this year sucks, let's be honest, but the finish line is in sight. The vaccines are on the way, guys. Let's be safe, let's be smart in these next few months and get through it and make 2021 a return to normalcy. I know I could use it and I think we all could. So again, I hope you guys have a really great Thanksgiving and um, you know, if you're looking for some distractions, that's what the podcast is for. That's what Stir Crazy is for. That's what all the stuff I do is for. It's for you guys. Uh here it is, my main event of the day, my chat with Mackenzie Davis. Mackenzie Davis, welcome to the Happy, Sad, Confused Podcast. How are you doing?
1: I'm great. I'm so excited to have a long conversation.
0: We were just chatting and we were saying that, um, yeah, I feel like I've had probably a total of like four and a half minutes of conversation with you on like four different press lines. So
1: I know the thing I hate about press lines is not just that you just get those short snippets of conversation, but also the whole environment like I get really in a way that I hate like quite drunk on the energy of urgency and moving forward and all these people in a room. So you end up just presenting like the the most sort of intense the manic horrific version, version, the version of yourself yeah. for like 30 seconds and uh yeah, I always feel so embarrassed afterwards.
0: <laughs> well, if it's any consolation, it's the same on the other side of the carpet too. For me, it's like I'm a generally chill, like subdued guy, and it like I get shocked
1: like, at the tone of your voice right now. It's <laughs> you're like you're like why aren't you familiar. like screaming a crazy question? <laughs> yeah. At me. yeah, yeah.
0: I was trying. Um, I think the last time I saw you was at was At Comic Con for Terminator Dark Fate, mm-hmm. um, I think I was trying to will into existence you getting cast as Catwoman thanks to the fan casting that was going on. Oh my god, time.
1: yeah, it didn't I, I work, guess dude. I, I failed you, that's what I'm gonna <laughs> <No. say. laughs> Although, as an outsider, I'm like, no, Zoe Kravitz, <laughs> that's the correct choice. <laughs> well, sure, you
0: would have been great as well, but yeah, Zoe will kill it. So, I, I take Very... it. N-
1: beautiful and feline though I'm like no 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 that's that's carrying on the sort of Michelle Pfeiffer tradition of a yeah
0: you didn't get the call that after rang. after our important conversation you didn't get the, the audition the call No anything?
1: call I'm after sorry. you and I spoke for those 30 seconds and I gave you a bad <laughs> version of myself no one rang
0: it's confirmed I have zero power in Hollywood I'm sorry um but I am curious like because I've talked to many actors over the years and sometimes actually that stuff does work, frankly, where you kind of like put out into the ether or something and then it kind of comes back around. Mm-hmm. Do you like, what's your attitude about kind of going after jobs? Are you kind of, do you like, lay back and sort of like let them come to you? Do you kind of like, when you hear about a project say, yeah, throw my name into the mix. What's, what's the general approach?
1: Well, I always feel like such a bad businesswoman where I never, I don't find out about things early enough. Like, I would have just killed to be in any version of Mad Max and I never heard about it ever and always <laughs> just found out too late where I was like but I would like to
0: wait yeah exactly yeah.
1: <laughs> the only thing I ever felt like I had a sort of modicum of control or or like cosmic contribution to so I remember when I first joined my agency when I was like 24 years old and we were talking about you know what's like what are dream jobs what would you want to do and one of the things i said i was like if they ever make a reboot of blade runner please like i I would kill somebody to be in it i want to be Pris 2.0 and i i just will but i will be anything in it um and it worked
0: wow okay that's That's a, there's a lesson there. You're also, by the way, the movies you're dropping are the right movies. We can be friends because, and we're going to get to your comfort movie in a little bit, but frankly not to ruin the reveal, but when I heard it, like I, basically like screamed ecstasy joy like i was just so happy to hear what you your oh i thought was. you were
1: like i hate that movie no, and only we... now that i've heard the other movies are you no 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 to? no no.
0: Yeah. no no we'll get to it we'll get to it but here's yeah. the other connection Mackenzie. i discovered in my copious research of you we you and i belong to a very important rare club you and i are april fool's <gasps>
1: oh my god do you know who else shares our birthday
0: i i, I know one other actor who are you gonna say
1: who?
0: David Oyelowo.
1: Oh, I knew that. I yeah. met him once and I knew that. And I think that's the only thing I said to him. And I'm sure he remembers me. Um, <laughs>
0: Who are you going to say?
1: Alfred E. Newman.
0: <laughs> Mad Magazine?
1: Yeah, the mascot of Mad Magazine. <laughs> proudest, <didn't> <laughs> proudest data point growing up. And still, haven't grown out of it.
0: <laughs> I think the only other one I remember growing up was um, uh, the guy that wrote Cyrano. Edmund Rostand. Wow. Uh. It means nothing to me, but I, that's all I remember. <laughs> Would
1: abject silence be the right way to respond? Yes, that was the right response. <laughs> yeah. well,
0: here's my question: Were you? Is, is is April Fool's a global holiday in Canada? Were you um, laughed at, mocked? Um, were there jokes? No, at expense? did you?
1: No, never. Did you have that experience? Because I always feel like whenever somebody asked me that, I was like, no. But was I not loved? Like, did people not <laughs> care <laughs> Why enough? Why do people prank something? me? Exactly. Yeah. Uh, no, I don't know. There's not that many people that do April Fools on a global scale even if they're aware of the day that it falls on it's a lot of effort to prank people so
0: yeah I don't think I've ever Um. actually been pranked as it were it's more of just like silly asides like you you must have been a a joke to your parents that kind of
1: thing and, and that's and that's it and that makes me feel sad for the people saying like it's such a lazy contribution where it's like why wouldn't you just not speak at all
0: exactly instead
1: of make a joke it's not funny
0: thank you for turning it around and making it about them instead of our set. it's
1: about them yeah
0: (laughs) so so you ended up you though you were born and raised in vancouver as far as i know yes you did end up in you you ended up in new york city at what age when did you end up at
1: 22 i went to university in montreal and then i went to um i started doing this like nighttime meisner class in montreal and really fell in love with it and then uh, my my teacher sort of suggested that I go to the neighborhood playhouse. So I, I got my degree in, in Montreal, and then I went to uh, New York for theater school.
0: Was ba- and back in Canada was like Vancouver the the production hotspot? It was uh, what, what, that it is now. Back when you were a kid,
1: I think so. I mean, the X Files film there. Right. Um, I, I don't think it was as hot as it was as it is now. And uh, you know, anybody any sort of grown ups I knew growing up who were actors had been on. On every sort of local show, but there's always sort of a a bar for entry that you can't pass if you're a local actor. And I found that in Montreal as well when I was trying to audition for things that it, it would be like Ashton Kutcher is producing a new CW show and you're auditioning to be the lead. And they're like, "Oh no, <laughs> baby, <maybe. laughs> this is just an exercise. You will be cast as like a waitress." Right. Um. So yeah, there it wasn't uh, it wasn't like a highway to success. But I really didn't. I think I had like a kids agent when I was in in Vancouver, but I I never went on auditions. I never I just loved being in plays at school. I wasn't you know um, chomping at the bit to get um, some like professional credentials. Oh my god, it's snowing! It's a miracle! It's the (laughs) it's the miracle. (laughs) It's suddenly the
0: end of a Christmas Carol. Mackenzie runs out, screams,
1: throwing garbage (laughs) outside my window. But no, that's New York. Something's falling.
0: Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So what, um
1: yeah.
0: what was New York for you when you moved you said at 22 what do you remember about your first days here um was it a struggle was it early success what was it like
1: well I was I mean um, socially it was fine I I went to this theater school that was really lovely I liked my teachers it was a bit um it was strange to go kind of after you'd already gone through university because I felt that for a a lot of people it was their university so i'd already gone through this this sort of i don't know feeling of being away from home or or you know that that sort of thrill of articulating your identity for the first time away from your parents yeah. um and i don't know i never felt like i really fit into that school but but i i, I love going there and i really liked my my teachers a lot um and then, but I wasn't allowed to work when I was in theater school, so it was really two years of just, you know, studying all the time, which was amazing. I'd never thought that I would have that much time to devote to acting. It was always sort of a, a you know, thing I did at night by myself, um, with other people, not just
0: <laughs> staring into the mirror, just doing your work. that
1: but, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, I sort of I just moved to London, and I was it really felt like the first time I moved to New York or started spending a lot of time in New York before i um before I moved there, where you'd like find yourself in little Italy and do sort of a an arms out spin and look at the sky and be like, "I can't believe I live here. Life has finally started. <laughs> well, it's um, an opportunity
0: I, for to reinvent again, like, okay, this is the new. this is this is yeah, yeah, this is mackenzie two point oh. this is this is the next one.
1: Yeah, I like that. I like that stuff a lot. I, I, I've I moved so much in my life and started over a lot. And sometimes it feels maybe not healthy, but I do, I would like to find a place to stop moving. I just haven't found it yet. And I, but I do like kind of burning everything down and starting fresh.
0: And going backwards then in terms of, so um, falling in love with acting, doing stuff in school, what about just sort of like your love of pop culture? Like where was your, if I'd met you as a teenager, what was your, what were your obsessions? What were you into? Were you like a, an acting snob? Were you into like cool highbrow acting? Were you into like big mass, you know, pop culture franchises, a little bit of everything or what?
1: I don't know. I don't know why I, I... so I, I was just speaking about somebody the other day. I've never been like a real fan, Um, so I, I, especially when I was younger, I wouldn't, you know, find a a director or a writer and then read or watch everything that they'd ever done. I um, watched movies all the time. My family watched movies all the time, but I don't think I really developed a taste for it until I was older. Um, I just loved watching people act and then talking about my opinion on it afterwards. I don't know, I, I, I have this memory of seeing, and I say this very self-deprecatingly, of seeing Moulin Rouge when I was like 15 years old and leaving the theater and being like, that's art, ladies and gentlemen, we've finally seen it.
0: It cracked the um, code.
1: really funny to look back on. Um, <laughs> but no, it wasn't really until I was older and in university that I feel like I started articulating my tastes a little bit more and seeking things out for myself. I don't even remember what what music i was listening to in high school i really feel um i don't know like i'm still
0: defining your taste it sounds like kind
1: of yeah like yeah i i i wasn't yeah i like to read a lot but even that it was always like a different book and whatever made me cry I, i i wasn't like fully in one author's canon you know
0: right so this might, might be a good time to mention the the comfort movie, because I'm curious when and where you interacted with it and, and when it became an obsession. Why don't you tell the
1: audience, oh, yeah. Mackenzie? Well, my comfort, my movie, comfort is. movie is uh, is Death Becomes Her, or Death Becomes Her, which is something I also loved to just savor when I was younger. <laughs> it's both. <laughs> um, you see? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's art. Yeah. <laughs> um,
0: when did you see it
1: when i was like 11 maybe okay. younger well how, how, when did it come out
0: so you would have only been about five by my math oh,
1: so wow. you must have yeah. seen it
0: on on tv or
1: something yeah i must have seen it on tv when i was older i mean we my family as every family did took the you know bi-weekly trips to blockbuster to choose the movies for the week and uh or every few days and so a lot of stuff just came from what the front of the vhs cases looked like on the shelves um but I feel like that movie as with the best comfort movies operates on one level when you're younger and then the more you watch it and the older you get it keeps sort of like moving and changing and uh it, I know we're talking about that becomes sort of like deepening in this way I mean when I was younger it was funny in a way I didn't understand and it was like broad and colorful in a way I did understand and I knew that women wanted to be beautiful and that trapped for me without being critical of it at all. And then when I was older, I understood what the critique was a bit more. And now at my age watching it, I watched it like a year ago and um, uh, just somebody like Meryl Streep and Goldie Hawn taking roles like this and having so much fun in their career and going like huge and campy and finding these like really, it's like scenery chewing moments and these crazy parts, I, I would kill for something like that. And it it's like shifted into this other dynamic of, of like a type of bravery that I want to possess. You know what I mean? Like yeah, no,
0: I totally not being
1: precious about your career, but being sort of broad and huge and, and going in all directions because it's really fun to be an actor and to act. And it's not always just cultivating the perfect resume.
0: Well, yeah, I mean, these three ginormous movie stars at the time, uh, Meryl, Goldie Hawn, Bruce Willis, um, they're playing, like, especially Goldie and Meryl, are playing despicable human beings, like monsters that um, have almost no value. Meryl, in particular, is just fantastic. She is clearly having an amazing time in this. Um, Amazing. It's funny, because I just had Sarah Paulson do the podcast, and she just chose uh, Meryl in Postcards. From the edge. And this was like, oh, I've was never seen to- that. Oh, it's a, you should check that one out. That's Mike Nichols, and that's a great one. But Meryl was in this amazing run where I think in, sub- in three consecutive years, she was in postcards, which is awesome. This and Defending Your Life, which I don't know if you've seen, is also, oh, Mackenzie, trust me on this. Wow. Defending Your Life is genius. It's Albert Brooks, and she is amazing in it. And and just like proves it. I was just not...
1: watching a string of Albert Brooks movies, and I didn't what? watch Defending Your Life. Yeah. Oh,
0: Defending Your Life is, is, has kind of gotten a second life in recent years. It wasn't, I think at the time, considered one of his best ones, but what did you see, like Lost in America, perhaps? Or
1: No, I was watching, what was the the documentary within a documentary about building the-
0: Yes, the uh, the reality show. They're like, oh my God, real life. Oh, no. yeah, yeah, whatever it's called. Uh, yeah, have, something yeah.
1: else life. yes i knew i wanted to watch a movie about life
0: (laughs) but um but anyway yes i I do i i agree with you that these are clearly actors that are enjoying kind of taking the piss out of their own occupation a bit um and you're right like i watched it again last night and i've probably seen it 20 times in my life at least Mm -hmm. um i do like that there. there it is like especially as a kid and i saw it as a kid too yeah, they're kind of, act. it's like heightened. Like Bruce Willis is like in a Looney Tunes cartoon. Like he's doing like triple takes.
1: Yeah, like, yeah. <laughs>
0: it's just like, the, I guess the material and the approach kind of lent itself to kind of being big and broad. And that's a rare thing for an actor in a, in a legitimately smart movie. It's often in like a shitty movie. It's like you can be big and yeah. broad. It's like a kid's movie, but this is like actually a smart satire.
1: Yeah, yeah. And I mean, there was, you know, Yeah, I really want that. I I feel sometimes like a little too serious about the whole thing. And maybe it's because there isn't this, you know, sort of well of money that's going towards making these like big broad, like Who Framed Roger Rabbit. And I know it's not probably financed in the same way, but like Romeo and Michelle's High School Reunion, these like juicy, crazy movies that have like a very singular aesthetic and point of view and characters that you haven't seen before. and that are well-funded, they're not, they're not you, you know, taking time off from, I don't know, not that I-, I No, I get that it. That sort of sounds other than I mean, but just, um, because I don't find a lot of space for that right now. And, and that's probably on me, but I, I, I like feel very inspired by those performances as the sort of um, ideal way to approach a career, like work, 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 and then have so much fun with the thing that you built and dismantle it and then build it up again. And then like, yep. uh, cha- I don't know, it just seems so um, noble in a weird way.
0: So so for, for the sad audience member that hasn't seen this movie, I'm gonna give some basics. This came out July 31st, 1992. It's written by David Kep, who if you don't know, is like actually one of the most successful screenwriters Ever he wrote Jurassic Park and a ton of like highly successful films directed by the amazing Roberts and Mekis. And this this was interesting. This came right after the Back to the Future trilogy and right before Forrest Gump. It felt like he had the juice at the time to kind of like make his like really dark, twisted comedy at a yeah. decent budget level. And I love that yeah. about it. Um we mentioned it's also kind of cool, like, yeah, from an acting perspective, as much as it's like a big special effects movie, there's really only like four significant roles in the film. It's, yeah that trio and then, and I then guess Isabella could, Rossellini who by the way like kills it is incredible
1: seared <laughs> into my my mind and my memory I was just working on something and she's the the inspiration for this type of woman in this thing but she's just oh my god walking into that like dripping cavern and she's wearing a loincloth and then has that vile knife on her leg and pulls it out I mean the interesting thing about this as well, as I was saying, like not being aware of any of the critiques or satire within the movie and watching it as a child, God, movies are impressionable. Or you are impressionable when you watch movies as a child because you only pick up on on the sort of worst parts of it. Like I only picked up on it's it's bad to grow old, but it's worse to push back against it. And then being sexy is the best and that's this woman (laughs) but that's how you have to watch movies like you know 15 times and then you can change those perceptions but it's uh yeah
0: do you have any um do any scenes jump out at you as your favorite moments or lines or uh
1: sequences uh no i mean i i have more like really intense visual recollections of it though isabella Varsolini thing i was just saying and then i think that the the funeral at the end of the movie where their skin is just peeling off and they have to use spray paint and like spray adhesive to keep re-adhesing their skin to their necks and their bodies um and Meryl's still i think backwards he,
0: uh no i think or she...
1: has her head twisted around again
0: i think well, well by the end their they, they, they their heads are removed from their bodies but if when they're sitting at the funeral they're still their heads are facing at the, the right
1: funeral way. yeah i just that <laughs> their whole like who's on for a sort of routine that they do at the funeral um i just yeah and they're just falling apart
0: i also like that yeah i mean like as much as i like Bruce willis as a badass i might like him more as like a like pathetic weaselly sad sack
1: that's what's so nice about him he really plays only or he's most famous for playing only those two versions even moonlighting a little bit he's like He's not a badass. He's not like totally pathetic, but he he, like subverts this this masculinity that he's built up, which is so cool. Um, I'm trying to think of another movie where he's like really dripping. Adam Scott's like that as well, where he's either like the nicest (laughs) or the absolute worst person. Um,
0: (laughs) Have you worked with any of these leading performers? Have you met any of them, interacted?
1: No, no, I haven't. Okay. i I went to school in Vancouver and at a certain point um, uh Wyatt her son was going who's also an actor and great but um right. uh, came to join my school and he was in the year ahead of us and there was just... I mean, Vancouver's not a small city, but you—you uh, know—you always feel like you're a small town, especially in Canada. So you don't have like movie stars coming around. And I just remember like whispers of Goldie Hawn being on campus when I was in a school play, and I was like, "It's happening, Mackenzie. <laughs> She's gonna see you. She's gonna take you away from here." Come with me, kid. Yeah. It never really <laughs> happened like that. So no, I haven't met her. To answer your question in a much more direct way.
0: You know, it's interesting. the The famous uh, I was looking up sort of like the casting what ifs. Uh, Bruce Willis replaced another. Ama- I mean, this actor would have done an amazing job too. Kevin Kline was going to play Ernest Melville, and he. Oh
1: wow! But he, you know, you don't get that same texture that you get with Bruce Willis. Like it's
0: there, there's you're
1: you're not undoing a thing.
0: I, I, exactly it's he's not playing against type which is rewarding in yeah. its own way um i also like that like when i think about it there was almost like a weird like subgenre at the time in like the late 80s early 90s that doesn't really exist anymore and you were kind of alluding to it it's partially just because like there's less of everything like you know there's there are 200 million dollar movies and there, there's netflix making everything else <laughs> but yeah. um there were like these kind of like weird competitive revenge movies. There was like, and dark comedies, there was dirt, uh, Dirty Ron Scoundrels, there was Throw Mama from the Train, there was Ruthless People, there was uh, War of the Roses. Mm-hmm. And when I think about it, I don't know what it says about me, but these are like, I'm listening like my favorite movies of all time, basically. So what I'm saying is that genre needs to come back.
1: You have a vendetta, yeah. Oh I yeah, agree. no, sorry,
0: Jonah. Yeah. I guess it's fun to watch people be mean. I mean, that's—I mean—sadly, one of the lessons.
1: Yeah, mean and like they're like the Hulk. The women in that movie, like they're energized <laughs> by their vitriol. They—they they, well, they're falling apart, but they also like they—they're so like engorged with envy or something that they become powerful and sort oh, of beautiful while being sense. like just pursuing this sort of awful. <laughs> thing I really
0: yeah having now done something like Terminator that was so had so many visual effects when you watch something like this in recent times do you have a different kind of appreciation this was this was the beginning of digital technology but Zakis is always at the forefront for whatever he's doing um do you watch it differently now knowing they obviously had some hardships to go through to make it look as great as it did
1: Maybe I was just uh, sort of to go back way further than that I was just watching um sisters the uh, the oh, DePana DePana. movie yeah, yeah. um which is so great uh, but the special <laughs> effects in that movie and then I was watching something else that was like four years later and the effects were so much better but the 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 practical effects on on sisters are so bad that it's hard Like, the the first reveal of the the separation scar is is so creepy and, like, kind of looks like a loose, temporary tattoo. And the progress between that and then five years later kind of blows me away more than Death Becomes Her Determinator. (laughs) No, that makes sense. I mean... Like, why did you... This couldn't have looked good on the day. I understand, like, there's certain things that we simply could not do... Without you know the advent of, of computers and, and animation and all of these things, but to just make a scar look real, I mean, we must have looked at this, and, and everyone was like,
0: <laughs> "You have eyes." No, yeah, it's <laughs> fine.
1: We'll we'll pan. We won't hold on it. We'll just pan. No one will notice. Well, and,
0: and the funny thing is, I do think of like some of some of my favorite films, like in the horror or thriller genre that used prosthetics back then do actually hold up I think of early Cronenberg films Uh I think of John Carpenter's The Thing um those films because there was real artistry I mean yeah I mean DePaul was an artist too but maybe his like the person that did that scar wasn't the artist who knows but but I guess my point is if it's done right
1: yeah have you ever seen Possession I just watched that I haven't seen that Oh, it's amazing. Wait, who and did Possession? Who directed that? Zelowski, that Polish okay. director. Okay. It's incredible. It's with, um, oh God, what's her name? That beautiful Italian actress. She was married to Daniel Lee Lewis. Um, uh, it's from the 70s. Anyways, okay. special effects in that, incredible. Really? Gorgeous. Doesn't feel cheesy. There are there are daggers drawn across necks. There's lots of blood. There's, there's demons. And it still feels like... I don't know. Maybe it's a lighting thing, um, but anyways, not to rail on De Palma. I really yeah. like that movie. <laughs> oh, De Palma's one of my
0: favorite filmmakers of all time. Yeah. So don't worry, it's all good. So it seems like you have made up for lost time. you were talking about like, yeah, I was just kind of trying things out in high school, watching different things. Like you s- seem to know your shit when it comes to movies. Now, was there? Did you feel like in your twenties in the last few years, like you you kind of just redevoted yourself to kind of like I'm gonna go through the AFI top 100 <laughs> or what's like where did where did the film knowledge come from?
1: You know, I really felt like I got to college and felt like on day one, the friends that I met and the, the people that then were my friends for years or are my friends, um, like I, I, I somehow felt like I'd never gone to school before that, like I somehow had learned nothing in 18 years and that I just felt like I now needed to become an autodidact because my high school didn't do it for me. <laughs> I don't know what that's saying. I just wasn't smart in high school, wasn't studious, didn't obviously develop any very strong taste, but I got to university and just felt like I needed to read every book that I'd never read and, and like educate myself about music and about film. And, um, and it became, I ended up living with these people. And so there was just this really nice culture of us all sort of it's exactly what it sounds like. I went to college <laughs> and I, I, I met kids that I liked and thought were smart and cool and I wanted to be smart and cool like them and uh uh and then yeah, I, I I mean I I I loved movies when I was younger, just didn't have the sort of that key that you find in a lot of people that are reading Dostoevsky when they're fourteen and, you know, obsessed with French New Wave. Like I didn't have that. Right. <laughs> that uh adolescence but um but i always loved movies i just took longer to develop my taste
0: did you so segueing into your new film happiest season you're working with some people that i know for a fact are some cinephiles like i've talked to kristen a lot over the years and she she loves her movies have did you bond with kristen over shared tastes exposing each other to different movies
1: yeah tons i mean hot topic while we were shooting with the two popes which i hadn't seen and she watched and was like this movie is so under marketed <laughs> it is such a like punk cool uh, incredible have you seen it yeah it's. i can't tell from your reaction but i no, i did like it, it. Yeah. I thought it was Absolutely. shocking yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah and, and just was marketed as the most boring i i just don't know they just so underserved that movie um and didn't publicize it at all but it was really I don't know, felt so unusual. Um but yeah, Kristen's got an amazing taste in movies. She watches a ton of movies and she's a huge reader. I I, I really like talking about books with her. i I mean, she's adapting a um uh Lydia Yuknovitch book and I'd never read anything by her and she she shared a lot of her books with me and it was uh it's great. It's the same thing as going to college. You just wanna find friends that have that are smarter than you and have um information
0: that you don't so you can look smarter yeah exactly (laughs) so do you find that the career uh, you know again i have these endless conversations with actors and like i think a lot of people just assume that they can steer their own ship and the reality is a lot of it's just sort of like taking the best material at the the right time right like this is the best thing offered to me etc but like looking from the outside in this comes after terminator and you Mm can't you can't get further from terminator to happiest season did it feel Mm -hmm. like a bit of a palate cleanser like i've just put my body through hell I just went to war let me have some fun in a nice holiday rom-com
1: yeah (laughs) like completely i loved me i terminator was so fun to make but it was so hard not just like i worked out for six months but we just shot night shoots for over like two months we shot six day weeks by the time we were done with it getting in at you know four in the morning for a workout leaving at 11 at night and then having five hours to yourself before you start again it was so intense and I think I got home in November and around that time I that's when I read happiest season and I was like the only way (laughs) I will be able to work in the next few months is if I'm like entering this beautiful nest of warmth and lightness and like lovely women to work with and humor and uh because I just couldn't see myself, like I, I I needed to really heal after after that output. Um, yeah.
0: So did you shoot it before the film actually came out, or just after you shot it? After you shot Terminator, but before the actual press tour and all
1: that. No, no, no. We shot it. Um, we shot it this year. So we got delayed a year. So when I decided to do it, I thought I was doing it in three months, and then um, and then it got pushed. So it, came, it We shot it January, February, while while the pandemic was approaching and we like everybody else just were were like well it can't cross borders (laughs) it'll never (laughs) get here (laughs) um such a weird little time capsule now to think of all the makeup trailer conversations every day coming in and being like seems like a big deal
0: no totally like i was Events. like okay i've got my bags packed for south by southwest i'll be there in a couple oh, yeah. weeks and it's like yeah no oh, i wonder if i'll get to this next event Comic-Con. and comic-con it's like what the fuck was i thinking
1: so insane no i was in new york after i finished happiest season i was gonna move there for a few months and uh Anyways, I went there, and the city was shutting down. I mean, the day before the whole city shut down, I saw two plays in a day and was like, wow, there's no one here. And then I decided to go home to get my stuff on, like, the 13th of March, and then the whole country sort of ceased (laughs) on the 17th. And it's just this sort of willful ignorance and this pushing forward of our own agenda, despite all evidence to the contrary. God, we're so unbelievably stubborn it's insane it's the whole this whole time has been such a weird reflection on like what information will allow into our lives and what we think we can deny through sheer force of will
0: sadly apparently we're capable of denying quite a bit um i'm curious if the post-mortem on terminator dark fate which i honestly did really enjoy I, i i'm a big fan of that i know like box office wise it didn't perform the way the studio, everybody wanted, you know, Tim's been very upfront about like there were struggles with James Cameron, et cetera, in the edit room. Did you feel like there was like, you were pushing a boulder up a hill? Like, did it feel like this was a quote unquote troubled production? Like, what did it feel like to you?
1: No, no, I wouldn't classify it like that at all. I mean, I, there's creative conflicts. Sure, there are, are always going to be if you really give a shit about what you're making or else yeah. you just have somebody who's sort of parroting you know the corporate interests instead of trying to make some type of art within this very corporate machine yeah um but i know not at all i i loved the experience of making that movie it was hard and rigorous as i've already said but the people were amazing tim was an incredible director and just so dedicated and devoted to making it the best thing it could be um as far as the box office and stuff you know it's Terminator 6, like, nobody saw the last three, I get it, it's okay, it's okay, I, I don't think that means what we made was bad, but I understand that we, it, you know, the audience appetite had been exhausted, um, how much you attribute that to there being three women in the lead, I don't know, I never really wanted to engage with that stuff, because, uh, I can't control it, I am a woman, and I really like the part, and I, felt proud of what I did so I couldn't be like no one's seeing it because they're sexist it's like much it seems like an easier answer for me to be like all right six is too much now we know right
0: did um was your character ever I mean your character obviously didn't make it through the uh end of the movie was that it was there any resurrection plan was there any plan if there were sequels that you were going to come back
1: when does an NDA just (laughs) expire They're not
0: making it again. I don't think so. Again, yeah, I don't think okay. so either.
1: Yeah, <laughs> I don't know. I'm scared of everybody all the time. Um, yeah, yeah. I think there was a, like, it was going to be sort of a timeline thing, sort of, where there'd be another timeline that you'd explore. Like, she, there, there's no resurrection, but, um, you know, she came from the future. So. so
0: we go to the future, we get to see you in the future,
1: presumably. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Okay.
0: Look how, yeah. look how they've drilled it into you. You're so. It's, I'm you're okay scared.
1: You... <laughs> Sorry. I hate this part of myself. I'm very weak. Let's about... I, like... <laughs> Whoa,
0: I don't like. Let's talk about Blade Runner twenty fifty now. Um... Yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> no, that's definitely expired. I can say whatever I want.
0: <laughs> um. Was the D- the Denis experience as amazing as it seems? That I mean, that guy is just the best. The best.
1: Just. I mean dream come true kind of you know when you hear a phrase too many times it loses its impact so but let me tell you a dream come true in every respect I mean I I would have been in any version of a Blade Runner sequel because I just love that movie so goddamn much um but I I'm such a fan of Denise and then you know meeting somebody who's Operating at that level of genius in terms of just holding a movie edited inside his head and is able to access it at any given moment. Um, But to, to work with somebody like that who's also so kind and just aware that every single person on set is helping to make his moving. Yeah. That, like, the person that comes in and plays, you know, The Waitress or the whoever in this scene is as important to the scene that's a part of the movie that's the final product as is ryan gosling and he just made everybody feel so thanked i i respected him respect him so much i think he's very special
0: yeah that, that movie is a is a miracle but it's as amazing as it is i mean as you know as obviously as a fan of the, of the original blade runner you know what a high bar it is to reach that and somehow he did yeah. it. it's it's kind of crazy
1: yeah, um, I can't okay. wait to see Dune.
0: Oh, don't even get me started on Dune, please, <laughs> <laughs> Mackenzie. We don't have that kind of
1: time. Um,
0: are you? So, are you in London shooting right now? Like, what's what's your life right now?
1: I'm not. I decided to move here.
0: And as um, you said, you 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 did the, the twirl, the Mary Tower Moore twirl, twirl when you got I to did, town.
1: Yeah. <laughs> I did. I did. I the the camera craned up, and I was the star of London. <laughs>
0: Did anybody in else know any it?
1: city i go to no 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 but <laughs> okay is, John.
0: is acting are acting gigs on the agenda are you ready to go back to work have you you haven't worked in this last few months i take it
1: no i haven't worked since we wrapped half the happiest season i was supposed to shoot station 11 which is this show about a pandemic um that started shooting before was shooting in January, February and then we took a hiatus because we needed the, for the weather to start again in May. So I was supposed to start shooting that in May in Chicago and it got pushed and now I'm going to go do it in January.
0: Um well that'll be a nice and, palette cleanser to do a fictional story of a pandemic while we're getting
1: Oh over yeah, palette cleanser is the perfect the perfect <laughs> expression. Yeah, it'll be great to just clean my palette with the thing my palette is made of. Um <laughs> No, it's really interesting. There was a while where I was like, are they still gonna make this? Is there an appetite for this? But I I, I think it's really cool and great. And I was just went for a a walk with um, one of the actors who's in the show who lives here. And he had been shooting the first two episodes in January and February in Chicago. And when it's all knit together, it's this very strange document of a show that started shooting before the pandemic was interrupted by a pandemic yeah. we will shoot the rest of the show during and then hopefully after the pandemic but when it's all in the together it'll be one storyline but so or or one timeline but so much has happened especially in his life you know going from episode three to four in this show and having the whole world having changed in between there between those two points um But I guess it's only interesting if you're aware of the production schedule, which (laughs) everybody is. But I'm like, what a cool thing this one show occupies so much history um, accidentally.
0: Um, There are sadly no pandemics in Happiest Season, but maybe I think that's probably a good thing. Don't you think for the holiday season, maybe it's good to have a few nice 90, 100 minute escapes from the sad reality we've been all dealing with, and that's that's exactly what this movie is. Um,
1: yeah, I, I, I think a pandemic escape room. It's that's exactly what it is. It's definitely a
0: pandemic ex- escape room. Um, this was much better than our silly little chats on red carpets. But uh, part of me hopes, though, we do we will see each other on silly red carpets again because that means the world is back to its weird normal self. Um, no.
1: Th- thanks for taking.
0: Thanks for taking the time today, and uh, it's always a pleasure to meet a fellow April Fool. And, uh, I know.
1: I'm so happy to know that. Well, thank you so much. This was so fun. And so ends another edition of Happy, Sad, Confused.
0: Remember to review, rate, and subscribe to this show on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm a big podcast person. I'm Daisy Ridley, and I definitely wasn't pressured to do this by Josh. <laughs>